I am excited to introduce our guest today. He is the CEO of Synonym. You know him as John Carvalho, also on Twitter as Bitcoin Error Log. John, welcome to the show. Hello. Your audio sounds insane. Are you doing that on purpose? This is incredible. It sounds like an like a complete troll. Your voice sounds like it's a super slowed down robot. It's very weird. We gotta get it fixed. In the meantime. I'm fully convinced this on purpose to us. No, John wouldn't. John loves to troll people. John is a consummate professional when it comes to that. He knows exactly what to say just to, you know, stick the barbs in uh, over Twitter and also educate people as he's doing so. Sounds Somebody exactly I, like you. God, I wish I could claim as much skill as John has. The truth is John is a master and I am but a neophyte. I also want to correct something that I said just a second ago. Apparently, and I have not verified this, but someone in our chat has pointed out or claims that this the bug that we were talking about in LND, or to say more specifically BTCD, that affected the LND implementation of the Lightning Network was actually was reported. So we were just talking about it a second ago during news and notes and talking about how perhaps he could have reported it previously. Apparently, again, not verified, he did actually report it. You'll have to confirm that for yourself, but I wanted to make that clear. It also did not take down the LND implementation of the Lightning Network entirely. It just affected some of the ways that, uh, that specific things worked. So an, a, the average end user apparently would not have been affected by this bug in the same way that uh, the previous bug that happened would have. John. Now we can't hear you at all. Now you're just muted. But maybe I'll switch my voice to a similar one just so we can sort of like have a uh, you know, I can I can be on your level. Let's see. How about this one? How do I sound? You sound like a better version of what John was two minutes ago. All right, I'll stop doing that immediately then. John. Yeah, Chris has got it. But while while John figures that out, I guess let's. We might as well just point out one of the other stories that we glossed over, or and or. Deleted. Glossed over. We chose not to dig into it because we had so much packed content. But now we have time to go back to it. Okay. okay. I think John is back. That story oh, we just there. talked about, you'll never hear it. All right. You should be able to hear me now. Oh. Yes. <laughs> Brilliant. What's up, guys? It's good to see you, man. Your hair looks incredible. Also, your beard. What happened? I got this like, light coming down on me, you know? So it's like giving me the sheen. I, to be honest, I've, what I've learned is like the direct bright lights, like not the vibe. What you need is like, you need just enough shade to put like a little bit of mystery into your face. The way you have like the shadows cast, excellent, excellent lighting. Yeah. Well, I guess. So what's up guys? You know, the usual talking shit, talking about the lighting network. I'm curious if you have thoughts about, actually, before we do that, let's properly introduce you. Q did a good job, you know, described you as the CEO of Synonym. I briefly mentioned the fact that you are an expert troll over Twitter and that you do it in such a way. No, it's true. Don't, don't deny it. We both know Never it's true. No, no, see, here's the thing. You troll, but you do it in such really a way that- but, but no, why, sorry, trolling can be, that can be a fundamental personality trait, but you do it in such a way that it forces people to reevaluate their assumptions and forces them to learn more about Bitcoin as they go forward. That, that would be my argument. I'm curious, would you agree with that? Would you disagree? I would agree with your description, but trolling by def as the definition I understand is wasting people's time or trying to incite emotion to waste people's emotion. Like it's, it's like, you know, then I also not as attack. productive and I am trying to be productive. 
you know. I, I like your more precise definition, and I agree with your assessment. When I say the word troll, I mean it the way you described it. So thank you so for helping to Definitely, P, you more are provocative, a you know. Provocative. You're an agent provocateur, but in the po yeah, see, these all have negative connotations. Fuck. John, can you give people, we talked to you before, but just for listeners who were not here in a previous conversation, can you talk about your journey to Bitcoin and what your role in the space has been so far? Because you've accomplished some pretty interesting stuff, especially related to the Lightning Network more recently. I mean, how long do you have? I think I hit 10 years in Bitcoin last month. So, you know, there's a lot to cover, but my journey to Bitcoin, to some make a quick summary, let's see, Silk Road, Trading, mining, exotica, <laughs> bit refill, synonym. So that's like the, the the very short version. But yeah, it's basically been a transition from going to, you know, just being a regular old Bitcoiner and then trying to figure out a way to be in the Bitcoin business and figure out actually having a company and building things for Bitcoiners. And that's where we are today. And I'm I'm very lucky to have a really awesome team and really awesome support, you know, monetarily and, and business-wise from our investors. And now we're, we're finally shipping things to kind of show people what our vision it really is. I love it. What, and I know this, but what was your claim to fame with regard to the Lightning Network, which Synonym, you know, obviously is built on top of and uses intimately at BitRefill? You, you accomplished some pretty interesting stuff there. So I, my hotel Wi-Fi is not good. And all I heard was, what is your claim to fame? And nothing after that. <laughs> I was trying to lead you into talking about how you helped BitRefill adopt the Lightning Network. Well, I, I think they were going to do it without me. So I don't want to make that my claim so much as I did kind of join the company right when they were, you know, going on that adventure. And I definitely, you know, turned up the volume on that while they were. But I, I like, it was their own idea to get into it before I arrived. And they had like the Thor LSP product and they were accepting, you know, lightning payments as one of the first companies. And now they're arguably the biggest you know, commercial Bitcoin, you know, accepting business that I know of that we would call a Bitcoin business. And uh, yeah, we, while I was there, we helped convince Bitfinex to be the first major exchange to add support for lightning. And that's how I kind of got a closer connection with Paulo Arduino. Um, and how Synonym was, you know, funded and formed as well. I love it. Okay, so can you take us through what Synonym is and how it reflects your 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 beliefs about the Lightning Network, kind of the direction that it is going? Well, I mean, Synonym is much more than just the Lightning Network. I, I do think it we we fit it into our kind of model of our vision. But, you know, what Synonym's trying to do is just basically assume that Bitcoin will win and make sure that we have a complete, you know, I guess, reference implementation of the future economy. And so we're trying to say, take the assumption that, you know, Bitcoin has dismantled big banks, has removed the power from big state to, you know, control the economy and has removed the power and, and then hopefully also removed the power to, you know, free people from big tech and the kind of centralized aspects of the web to where people are not just controlling their own money, but also controlling their data. And so what Synonym is trying to do is show like, here is actually a model of software protocols and services where if you combine them all, you actually have an entire separate economy, really a separate 
corporate society in the digital sense at, that you have all the tools you need to operate without those things existing. Big tech, big banks, big state. Got it. Got it. Okay, so you joined us today to talk about, I believe, a couple a couple things that you have recently announced with regard to Synonym. My understanding is that you've just launched a new Bitcoin wallet app, which I want to hear about, and the the specific functionality that it has that is unique to Synonym and, and how that works with the Lightning Network, and then also something related to Slash Tags, which you talked to us about last time you were here. So maybe let's start with the wallet that you guys have launched, what it's called, and why it's unique, and then let's shift to the other thing as well. Sure. So we just launched the kind of beta testing version of BitKit, and BitKit is meant to be like your ultimate Bitcoin toolkit. And so what we did was we tried to basically start from scratch on the idea of what a Bitcoin wallet you know, should have in it, at least a, a mobile Bitcoin wallet, and tried to see how we could include a, a new user experience that incorporated these kind of holding your own data, you know, next web kind of features. I'm using next web because just in, you know, incidentally, because it's not web three, it's not web five, it's not, you know, SSI, it's not DID, and, but it's, it's just, solving the problems and showing people that they can do things that they couldn't do before if you apply some of these technologies and combine them with a Bitcoin user experience. So Bitcoin, the kit supports regular on-chain Bitcoin transactions, and there are various cool features and user experiences for how we display that in the app. It supports Lightning Network, and that runs by a LDK node. So we've implemented LDK node in a mobile wallet, so you can kind of quickly get onto Lightning. And we've also fully integrated Block Tank, which is our LSP service. So you can really get a really smooth user experience for onboarding and connecting to the Lightning Network from your own node, holding your own keys, et cetera. And then we've also fully implemented all of the current slash tags features into BitKit to kind of provide a whole new set of features that you've probably never seen in a wallet before. Maybe some shitcoin wallets do some of these things. I don't know. But uh, that includes the kind of category of a public profile. And your public profile is much like your Twitter profile would be, but except you own it. And so you can, you know, choose your photo, choose your name, choose your bio. And, you know, it can add a link list on there, kind of like what a product like Linktree or such. And you can just show a QR code to anyone and they can add you as a contact. So we basically merge the concept of, you know, phone contacts with the, the, con the concept of like social media profiles. So this way your contact list isn't just this thing that this database that you're always entering data into that's always going stale. It's actually dynamic data that is provided by the contact. And so when you update, you know, your bio or update your photo on your phone for your profile, it updates for all of your contacts in their phones because you own the data. And so the data automatically propagates from your networked drive. I won't get into the technology unless you want me to, but I can. But there's basically this, this capability of having a network drive on the data, but anybody else can serve it for you with integrity because only your key can write to that drive. So now you take this profile and contacts concept, and we also have this feature to be able to pay people over this protocol. And so what it does is when you want to pay somebody's slash tag or their profile or their contact, whatever you want to call it, it actually goes to that drive and it checks what payment methods you support. And, and the endpoints for those payment methods are listed there. 
And so if you want to pay me and I am online, you can like programmatically, automatically request an invoice. And so it does this all in the background. The user experience in BitKit is simply, you know, you choose an amount, you choose a contact, and you hit send. And the rest happens in the background. And so if you're offline, it will pull a on-chain address, and it will send you an on-chain transaction. If you're online, it will pull a Lightning invoice, and it will pay you over Lightning, if both parties support both things. And you can add as many payment methods as you want to this as possible. And so we'll demonstrate that in the future, which is another thing we can talk about if you want when, for example, we start supporting pair credit, which is another thing that we kind of pre-announced at the conference last weekend. But that's not you know, complete already yet, so BitKit does not support that yet, but it will in 2023. And then if you allow me to keep ranting, the slash tax features also include this concept of widgets. And so what we've done is we've kind of taken these drives and we've, these drives are append-only logs, again, locked by keys then by the owner, and they can have any kind of data in them. And so we've demonstrated how you can basically create basically true dApps by having these data feeds that you could feed into any app that wanted to read them and follow these feeds. And so we, we made a few reference kind of examples where there are these like stock widgets in the app, but they're actually just on a DHT network that any app could read. And so we have one that's for like Bitcoin block data. And so you can see the latest like block statistics in the widget. We have one that's for like, we've compiled a bunch of like RSS feeds and put them into one for like all Bitcoin RSS feeds. So you can see like the latest Bitcoin headline, Bitcoin magazines included in that, by the way. And so if you see a headline, you when you want to read it, you just tap on it and it opens up the web browser for that article. And we have another one that is just showing like a Bitcoin price feed. And we've shown how you can show more than just data. You can start interpreting the data. And so there's actually a little price chart inside of this widget. So you can see like the the BTC USD price on Bitfinex and like a little price chart of the last and you can change and, and you can edit the, the settings for each of these widgets because the feed might have multiple feeds within it. And so you could change it to say, you know, the Bitcoin Euro price if you wanted to. And so you have this little widget area in the app where you can display whatever you want. But one, one more thing. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm, I'm loving this. And then the, the other kind of flip side of widgets is they're also a, a way to express accounts. And so, you know, how you've seen lately, there's been a little bit of a trend to being able to log into a website with a key. You have LNURL auth and some other, like MetaMask does this and some other things. Well, we've kind of amped that up as well. And the way it works is you, when you authenticate, the website is also a key as well. And so you don't need the domain name anymore. You, like the website could be any domain name, but you know it by the key. And so the website has some kind of censorship resistance as well, because if they lose the domain name, they can still prove where they are in the new location. Interesting. Um, but, but when you log in using BitKit, it makes a widget of that website that you have an account with. So it's also your accounts. And if the website supports it, you can have two extra features on top of that. One of them would be an account feed, and the other one is magic linking. And so basically what that means is not only could you scan a QR code to log into any website that supports this, but you could actually just tap to log in from BitKit. And so you're in BitKit, you want to log into your Bitfinex account, you just tap the card twice and it opens up the browser with you logged in, you know, by authenticating in the background using the, the noise protocol and the DHT. And if you want to, and you'll be able to do this soon, we're working on it with Bitfinex right now. As an example, you can have one of these widgets that's just all of the data in your Bitfinex account. 
So in BitKit, you can see like your Bitcoin balance, you know, whatever you have in Lightning, but you could also see how much money you have on Bitfinex or the latest profit and loss of your open margin trades or whatever you wanted that, whatever Bitfinex wanted to put about your account in the feed, kind of like an API key. And so this way we're trying to show people that with slash tags, you can have like a serverless web that's powering dApps. Like you can have the user creating the data locally and they're the, and they have the key and they're the only one that can edit that data but anybody can serve that data on the DHT network and anybody can now follow that data and assemble it any way they want. So that is, there's a ton of information there. And yes. I, forgive me, I'm gonna ask you to, to break it down in a really, really simplistic way. So going all the way back, BitKit is an app that leverages, is it fair to say is produced by Synonym or Synonym is your company. BitKit is, a, is the wallet, but it's so much more than that than you've just released. First of all, first question, how do I get access to BitKit? Can can our users go do that right now? Is it in test flight? Is it something we can download? It's in test flight in iPhone and, and the beta mode or whatever it's called in Android. We do have the, the amount of people that can download it right now throttled. We'll probably hit the limit in the next day or two looking at the current downloads. And there are all the, there, there is still some bugs and we were aware of them before launch, but we kind of wanted to use the Lugano Plan B conference as a launch opportunity. So we kind of shipped it. We yep. Fuck it, we'll do it live. And so we're trying to iron out a couple things, particularly with the, the Lightning node. There's still a couple of bugs there. So there's limited functionality depending on which version of the app you're using. But you should have all of these things ironed out in the coming weeks. If you want to download it, install it right now, just go to bitkit.to. Bitkit okay. Yeah. I'm super excited. Okay. And then going all the way back, can you describe like how is, you described a lot of functionality and you talked about like data feeds. And I think what you said is that the, is it the is it the case that your phone is running a you that you have full custody of the node that is running on your phone like i guess i'm trying to understand how is the data that one is producing how is that owned by the person who's running the app on their phone like how does that interaction work if you can talk about that a little bit sure so so the technology that we're using like at the low level is called hypercore and there are, and it's, this is like a suite of different, it's kind of like slash tags, but it's a, a suite of modules for different use cases for a DHT combining with a- Can you a define DHT? Yeah, it's a distributed hash table. It's like, okay. it's the way that BitTorrent works. Yep. If you want some familiarity there, you know, it, it's just a way of being able to find something in a, by using this, this table and basically it, you, you kind of drill down to which, nodes have the info and then you start seeding the data from all the nodes that have the info that you're looking for and so it's a way of kind of async there's a lot of asynchronous data stuff you can do with it that's really cool but the coolest part here is that everything in this this model of a dht you know hypercore hyperswarm etc and these is, are existing systems that that kind of anyone can integrate when you say hyperswarm hyper yeah the, these things predate a synonym they, yep. they've, they've existed you know Granted, by only a year or two, but they've been building this out for the past few years. But it happens to be mostly developed by one of our sister companies called Hole Punch. You may have heard of the Key app. They're using the same technology to do the kind of peer-to-peer -peer video and peer-to-peer -peer chat that for their app that they're working on. And, and they're also the, the company that we're teaming up with to do the paired credit project that I kind of mentioned earlier. But these, these uh, network drives on the DHT, they're append-only logs. And they kind of work like a blockchain, except- And append only just for the audience means that you can add data to it, but you can't delete data or edit it once it's already been added. 
Well, you can actually delete data. You, you just can, okay. can't change it. And okay, so in other got words, it. you don't have to host old data anymore and it still works. So if you want to purge data, you can, but you can't, you can't change the past without forking the drive, essentially, just like a blockchain. Like you break the history, you've now forked the chain. Mm -hmm. and so this is a way of like enforcing integrity of these logs because you know that only the key that created the log can write to that log. And that means that anybody can host or see the log and you know that, the, that it still has the integrity that you expect. So, so anyone can host it, but only the person with the private key can actually append to it. Right, right. And so okay. you asked, how is it, you said, is there node? You know, they have their own node, they're, they're serving this themselves. So the answer is just like with Lightning Network, they do it themselves when the app is open. Like Lightning Network is a live network. So when you have the app open, you can see if somebody wants to add you as a contact, they will most likely get that data directly from your phone, from, mm -hmm. from the drive in your phone. But when you have it closed, what we do is for free, we seed all BitKit users' public drives because these are public profiles. Mm -hmm. Now, they're public in the sense that like you won't know they exist unless you, somebody tells you the pub key. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like more of an additive thing. So you have some control over the spread of information. But the I say public because the data is not encrypted for the public drives. This way, anyone that you share it with can read it when, when you do share it with them. And so we seed any of the drives for BitKit users, like if they're offline, for availability. And yep. so the, the network allows this and the users know that we can't manipulate that data once again, because essentially the drive is your drive. It's your key. you're the only one that can edit it with yeah. your private key, which is stored yeah. on your phone. Interesting. So I hope that answers your question. <laughs> no, no, it did. It did. Okay. Okay. So once again, can you just describe at its core, what the technology that this, that this is leveraging is doing? Like what is the sort of fundamental behavior that it's doing? Does that make sense? I guess, what, what is everything kind of built on top of? I'm trying to describe it differently because what I said does cover most of the basics of it, but you know, just to kind of maybe describe it again or change, use it differently, I would say like, imagine you were trying to, you know, you had this network and everybody on the network could kind of, you don't have like a public directory so much as this, this hash table. And, yep. and so you have this, you have all this info, but the info needs to be drilled down. Like you only know, like say the first, the first little bit of data, literally the bit of, so you say, who has this first, this bit? And then you say, okay, these are all the people that have that bit. Then you go one more bit down you say, who are all the people within those that have the next bit? And you just kind of drill down to only the people that have the data you want. And so once you find all the people that have the data you want, you start seeding it from them. You start leeching it from them, just like you would on Just BitTorrent. like you do with BitTorrent. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and so now, now once you once you know that key and you know some, um, some peers that have that host that drive, you're basically subscribed to that key. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, it's like it's sort of like, it's like following someone on Twitter, except in a much more technical networked sense. You're not just following them with a button and now Twitter is putting their- And it's, decent it's, it's decentralized when you're using, or it's more decentralized. Well, it, it's not like, in other words, it's centralized because it's your data, you're the central point, right? But, but it's hosted the, in other places. The mechanism is, is distributed or relative. I, I don't know what the correct word that would properly convey it so much as the data can come from everyone and you can still prove that it came from the person you want. It can come from anyone, but you can still prove it came from the person you intended. Got it. Got it. Okay. 
interesting, man. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go download this. I'm, I'm super excited to play around with this. So yeah, we got the profiles, we got the contacts, we have the, the payment protocol, we have the, the widgets, the account feeds, the accounts, the data feeds for, you know, just for the widgets as well. And so we've integrated as an, as another example, like maybe you've heard of Starbacker and they're kind of doing like an adult friendly social media things so or kind of like OnlyFans, but it's, I'm not sure if they're just trying to, if they're trying to target adults so much as adult friendly, you have to, I'd let, prefer they describe their own product, but they have implemented slash tags, the ability to basically do the authentication. And so if you make an account there using BitKit, it will add a little widget on there. And so you'll be able to automatically log in with the magic link, just double tapping and not having to scan, even scan a QR code at all. And when you first create the account this way, it asks you if you want to pull your public profile. And so it'll go to the DHT and it'll say, hey, if you want, I can pull your name, I can pull your photo and I can populate your Starbucker profile with this. And so it's kind of showing how you can have this portable profile that you can take with you to any website that supports this. So you could be, you know, you know, Bitcoin error log or Satoshi Nakamoto or, you know, Craig Rong or whoever you want on multiple platforms. And if that platform cancels you, they can't actually cancel you because your followers are following your key. They're not following a database entry that that, that that platform owns. So when they cancel you, they just get your drive from some other peer. Got it. Okay, so I'm going to repeat something back that you just said. So the website just becomes a way to interact with you. But once the person is connected with your information or your feed, that's basically a connection that is greater than that specific website. So it creates this inability for them to censor you or cancel you. Yeah. So BitKit, BitKit is not a social media app at the moment. You can't like tweet with it, but we're basically showing how you can establish like a primitive network simply by adding, making a contact list of different people that have these profiles. And then as we start to add features, these will eventually become, you know, the people that you follow on our social media method, the people in your first web of trust, the people, you know, like these are all, we'll be able to demonstrate all this stuff through these primitives. You know, you might call it, this is actually trying to make a DAP possible. Like when people talk about decentralized app, what that really like underlying the way to do it properly is just to say the data is owned by the key holder that creates the data. You can prove that they're the one that made the data and you can get data from multiple sources and assemble it locally. So the ideal would be that you have a say social, if you want to have decentralized Twitter, well, that's actually an app you run on your computer or on your phone. And what it's doing is it's pulling from data sources from everywhere and assembling that data locally. And now if you want to scale that, you can say that what Twitter becomes is just basically a really large cloud host, you know, mm -hmm. where it's kind of like they're, they're seeding and copying and following all these different drives and making them highly available. Interesting. Hey guys, this is Q from Bitcoin Magazine Live. As the world moves increasingly towards the mainstream adoption of Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage will make it possible to materialize your assets in real estate. Through the collateralization of mortgages with Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage will be launching lending solutions to allow investors to easily leverage their assets to purchase investment in owner-occupied properties. Moon Mortgage's crypto mortgage will be launching soon for home buyers in Texas, Florida, and Colorado, and will be open to investors in most states across the U.S. for investment properties. Welcome to the future of mortgages. Visit moonmortgage.io today to register your interest and learn more. 
Moon Mortgage Residential is registered with the NMLS under number 235334. Come celebrate Bitcoin winter in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from May 18th to the 20th. Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off of your tickets before prices go up. If you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's both a free and paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts break down what's going on in the markets so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com. Okay. So with everything we've covered, so actually Q, I'm curious if you have any questions, thoughts. I've been kind of monopolizing the conversation. I feel bad. Y'all are so deep in the weeds. I have nothing <laughs> to contribute here. I'm just, I'm a student today. I love it. Well, I mean, I, as, as am I. Well, okay, you can so be we- a QR code now and people can, can add you to their contacts and your, your QR code, no matter where you go, no matter which app you use, they can pay you over a QR code. You don't really need to know more than that. Other than that, it'll just work and nobody can take it away from you. It's yours. So what are the jurisdictional hurdles? Like realistically, could I, I got a lot of travel coming up in December. If I wanted to have this as my sort of wallet, would I just any jurisdiction, any country I'm in, or are there still limitations in that capacity? Well, it depends on how extreme you want to be about the requirement. Like I'll say like the positive and I'll say the negative. The positive would be, the goal in the design here is to have your whole entire digital life be able to be respawned by one Bitcoin seed. And so what we do is we, we derive this, all, all of the keys for your drives and your, and your profile and such. They're actually a key derivation scheme from your Bitcoin seed. And so when you, when you're, when you make your, your BitKit wallet, you get a BitKit seed and then you have a master key for your slash tags keys. And then when you want to like re, reestablish that, like say, for example, you were really paranoid and you want to have a brand new phone when you travel and it's empty. And when you get to your location, you want to reestablish yourself. Well, you put in that seed in that phone when you get there and it will actually it'll repopulate all of your contacts and, and all of your Bitcoin, you know, all, and you'll have this in one place and all of the data, it'll just pull it from the DHT from any seeders that are, avail- are available. So it will it'll update the, the, the current data from each of your profiles, you know, photos and bio and links that they have in their profile, and it'll just all reappear just from the seed. All you brought with you was a seed in your head, and you kind of recreated your digital life all in one place. And eventually this will include like your Twitter feed, your your family photos, any everything that you have for data that you want to be locked by a key and reestablishable from a network, you could do this way. Now, the, the negative side would be, well, if you go to China and you're behind the Great Firewall, you might have a little trouble connecting to people that have your data. I, I don't know. But if there are people in China that are seeding your cores, you won't have a problem. And so it really depends on like the, 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 the network availability of things. But that is actually a good segue to one of the cool parts about the underlying tech. Like the reason why our sister company, Hole Punch, is called Hole Punch, 
this is a concept, there's a concept called hole punching, which is about punching through networks to be able to get to the end user, despite the methods that are in, in the middle that kind of make that difficult. And so there's been a lot of work put into being able to hole punch through these networks to be able to make this kind of thing possible. It's not, you know, 100% punching through anything, but it's the best punching out there that we know of. And so it works pretty great. And then, you know, in the coming year, we'll try to show you how to, how you can incentivize the seeding system. So that's why, you know, if you're going to China, you might beforehand pay somebody in China to be hosting your drives. So that way, when you get there, you can repopulate all of your data. You are muted. I pulled a P. God <laughs> damn it. Damn it. All right. I got to ask now a very specific but personal question because this has been a roadblock that I've been dealing with. But like, so I have family in Iran working with them to try to help them sort of save what they can while they can still do those types of things. I mean, this seems like the perfect type of product for people who need to flee a country's situation. Can I send this to family in Iran, like literally before the Iranian government realizes what I'm trying to do? Well, I don't specifically know the measures that Iran goes through to limit people's network or internet capabilities. So I, I can't say confidently yes or no. I just don't know. But I would say if Iran has pretty good ability to reach anywhere in the internet, then it shouldn't be a problem at all to the scope of BitKit. Like BitKit currently is just a profile and a contact list. So right. it's not actually all your data yet. Eventually, you know, that's the plan. And so we first started with like the toolkit and then, you know, following products will include, you know, solving the, the storage problems, like getting, being able to pay people to seed your data and get paid to seed people's data, social media and publishing, being able to like, you know, create content and, and have that be content you own, content you can monetize, and content that you can have portable and, and interoperable as well. Cool. Okay. So, I have some noodling to do. So what are some of the biggest hurdles from a technological perspective that Synonym faces as you roll this out? I mean, I guess it would depend on, I guess we have kind of three categories in the app. We have Bitcoin, Lightning, and Slash Tags. The hurdles for Bitcoin are not too bad, right? Like we've kind of had Bitcoin wallets for a while. We know how to get a good user experience in the app. You know, I would say I'll use, I'll use this as a segue into the Lightning one because this affects Lightning more than Bitcoin. So some of the hurdles might be things like regulators wanting to create this concept of an unhosted wallet and whether or not they start coming down on app providers as somehow being, say, virtual asset service providers or regulatable in some way because they're a business providing some sort of you know, monetary application. Now, everything in BitKit is self-custodial. No, we don't have any counts with synonym. You know, it's, it's all yours, it's all your keys. And so we've kind of avoided most things but there is some regulatory creep in that area. So that's a possible future challenge area, even more so with Lightning. With Lightning Network, you know, when you do something like an LSP, you're now selling channels to your users. And so now you are now entering jurisdiction of, in a business sense of any users where they live. 
And so when you do something like that, like, like an exchange, for example, if you want to do that in the US, you've got to go through like, the regulations of every state, the federal regulations, multiple different federal organizations. You need to make sure your ass is covered. So we don't sell channels to the US. We do not do business in the US. Now, US users can use BitKit, but they can't use the aspects where you would buy a channel from our LSP service. You're going to have to get your lightning connection from someone else. So that, that's a challenge as an example. Another challenge is we're using a lot of cutting edge tech, including the lightning node. Uh, LDK is a new implementation. This is the first time like we're, we're seeing it like open in the wild. Blue Wallet had implemented actually before us in their wallet, but it's like behind a dev mode. It's still in testing. They haven't oh, fully switched over. They haven't really switched over because there are certain challenges. Like they want to make sure they can scale it. They want to make, yeah. see how they transition from custodial to self-custodial. I mean, you can ask Igor or, or ask or Igor or Nuno what what they think the challenges are in that regard. But we are just being, you know we're starting out in the wild. We're saying this is LDK, use it. And and LDK, you know, still has some things that some bugs that we have to work out that we're finding now that we're we're using it this way. And so that's that's another challenge is when you use bleeding edge tech, you have to pay the price of being the first one to implement it. On the slash tags front, the regulatory stuff was not as bad as I thought. You know, going through our legal team and making sure our asses were covered for like helping people seed their data and all this kind of stuff. You know, they control the data. We're not doing anything, we're not like hosting like you know, photos, so we don't have to worry about like naughty photos or things like that, or illegal photos. So it's just, you know, your profile data, but we did have to be careful with, you know, like private data. We need to, we have to communicate to the user, like which things are public, what data is exposed, what we can see, things like this. And so, you know, managing the PII aspects and, and making sure that's covered, that's, that, that's a consideration. But I don't know, this, this stuff is maybe probably kind of boring for the audience, but these are challenges. You know, these are things when people are building all this tech they have to deal with and you have to go through lawyers. You have to have, you know, engineers that can handle all this cutting edge tech and explaining it to people. Trying to convey this stuff to you guys is a challenge. You know, trying to say like how this works. So that's why we try to focus on in the app it's not communicating technology. This is actually a big theme in BitKit is we don't talk about lightning channels. We don't talk about the lightning network. It's just- You just utilize them to serve a specific function. Yeah. We, we try to speak in the terms of what problem is this solving for the user and what can they do now that they couldn't do before? And so when we talk about lightning, it's like, you want instant payments? Okay, do this. You know, if you, want, if you want to have a public profile, do this. We're not going to say, like, we don't say slash tags in the app. We don't say hypercore. We don't say the lightning network. We don't say an Electrum X, you know, compatible server. Like, they don't need to, we don't say LDK. They don't need to know any of those things. And we, we're very sensitive to that in the user experience. No, I think that's a great point. I don't know if you were, you were in the sort of green room before in the earlier segment, but I was talking about just a random website that I found that was fun playing around with the lightning network in terms of interacting with games. And I think that's so important. We, a lot of people focus, I think, too much on trying to be like, we're building this thing with Bitcoin and like throwing Bitcoin in there as a thing, which is which is cool and important. But I think it's so much more powerful when you're asking questions around what functionality can you implement, what functionality is the Bitcoin network and the Lightning network better at supporting and then just driving towards that functionality rather than trying to sort of like contort the network into some specific yeah, like, and we're trying to show how when you combine these things, you can do new things. So, for example, when you want to send a Bitcoin payment, because you have slash tags in there, if you're using it, 
instead of pasting in a pub key or scanning a lightning invoice, you just go to your contacts and you choose which person you want to pay. Like this, we're just like the key stuff is not a factor if you're using the contacts feature. Got it. Got it. One thing is a question in the chat, which is asking what this will supplant or what it could supplant in the broader quote unquote, like crypto space, what kind of functionality could this obsolete? So one of the missions, not really a, a mission so much as a consequence of our, our vision and our design and our, and our model for the future is between slash tags, hypercore, pair credit, these kinds of things, we're really obsoleting a lot of shitcoin narratives, a lot of shitcoin use cases. Like when we add a technology and support it within our ecosystem, we, we very closely evaluate whether or not it can be done without a blockchain at all. And this is, this is you know, why we landed on working on pair credit as a design. It's a way to do tokens or credit tokens. And, and I think that credit is really the only reasonable use case for a token. And so that's why we're focused on that. And it doesn't use a blockchain. It uses the, the append log you know, thing to, to have a cool new design and way of organizing these, these credit ledgers. So you can have a IOU that you can you know, trade with a peer without having to have a blockchain. And so it, this makes this adds a bunch of cool advantage, as it turns out, because because you don't have to use a blockchain, you don't have to use a lightning network. And so if you want to do a lightning channel peer to peer, like if I want to pay you on using like lightning style channels, I just connect to you. I don't need a route to you. I don't need a, to, to manage liquidity. I just connect to you and I pay you. And if we want to keep that channel open afterwards, we can. And if we don't, we just close it. It's just a disposable channel if we don't need it anymore. And there's no blockchain overhead in that regard. We can just move on with our day. And that's an advantage. You don't use a blockchain. You get instant, fast, cheap, you know, available, connectable. <laughs> it's, it's, it, there's a lot of advantage to getting rid of a blockchain with a lot of things. Same is true with Web3, with like, you know, they're starting to get into identity. They're trying to say that NFTs are something to do with identity. I don't even keep up with the narratives, honestly. There's but such bullshit. I guarantee you, if any of them are interesting or useful, we can do them without a blockchain. God, that is so infuriating to me. It's just constant. I got a stupid question that's going to piss P off, but like, I, I want to ask this. I think I understand, but I want to really emphasize this separation could we distinctly differentiate what you've described john the product you guys are rolling out and where it is actually significantly different from a cbdc beyond the fact that that would be something a government rolled out versus this being something a business rolled out I could probably do it on multiple levels but i'll just i'll just riff so a cbdc is a fiat Right. And a CBDC, the feature of it compared to what fiat has today is how they can limit its usage. Like that's the only feature of it is how they can more tightly and, and, and confidently control how it is or is not used. Other than that, there's not going to be an advantage because, again, the blockchain is going to make it more expensive, et cetera, et cetera. And if they even use a blockchain, they probably won't. They probably use some sort of distributed ledger system. They might even use pair credit someday. I have no idea. But the difference between credit and fiat is credit is a promise on the issuer's reputation to redeem it for something specified. 
And so when I, you know, for example, a gift card, if I buy a gift card that is $50 or a large coffee or a month of Netflix, like that, that business, that issuer now has put their reputation on their ability to redeem those, that credit. And if they ever are become inconsistent to redeem that credit, the value of their credit on the open market will plummet, right? The, their business will, might even go out of business, you know? And so this is much different than fiat. Fiat, there's no promise. <laughs> the only promise is that they'll accept it to pay your taxes. That's basically the main promise. And as long as you do that, they won't, you know, commit violence upon you or put you in a prison cell or, or some equivalent. And so that's, that's the difference between credit and fiat. Fiat has no backing that's backed by violence essentially and credit is is backed by something defined by the issuer so you have an expectation of what you are owed for that credit an iou so is there oh god keep sorry. I, I want i want to just go down this a little bit more is there an inherent like is credit not fiat in nature or is there a way to create a healthy credit system through sound money? Because I feel like this go this is often like debated and discussed, and I I don't act or claim to know the right answer to this. I'm just genuinely curious if you feel as though there are components of credit that just make it inherently fiat. No, I mean, I think that's kind of, you know, I'm not trying to be rude or anything, but that's just a word salad, you know, like they, they have definitions. These things have definitions to you guys and everybody in the audience. Like if you want to try to like have a tighter grasp of both the dynamics of Bitcoin and the economics that are relevant to it, we kept crypto economics by Eric Voskul. There's no Bitcoiner that understands these things on that level better. And he helps and, and my, you know, interactions with him and reading with him help me understand these things a lot more deeply as well. But fiat, like he would describe Bitcoin as a market fiat. It is something it is like it's almost like how some people would joke and say it's a headless Ponzi, right? Like it, it the, there's no promise that you will get Bitcoin what, that you'll get a trade value of Bitcoin in the future for any specific amount. Like Bitcoin could be gone and nobody would be accountable. Bitcoin could be the most popular thing on earth and you could buy a house with something that you only paid, you know, $5 for. But, but there's no enforcement of the price by anything in the Bitcoin system, right? The only enforcement in Bitcoin is just the quantity of them that you have in the system. And so you don't know what you're going to get for your Bitcoin until you try to sell it. And it's all relative to the person you're selling it to. So it's just there's no enforcement of the price. So in a way, Bitcoin itself is like a market fiat, a new type of fiat, because there's no controller. There's no central issuer. So it's something the market created to be able to, to have this concept of, and use this resource, this abstracted resource as a money. Now a credit, you know, credit and fiat are just two totally separate concepts. Credit is just simply saying, if you have people that trust each other, so you have Bitcoin for trustlessness, the, the market fiat, the trustless system is simply saying, if I want to have a unit of account where I don't have to trust anybody to be able to use that, like the, the, the ultimate store of value in the abstract, you have Bitcoin. Everything else is credit. You, so you can, you can say that fiat maybe is a type of credit where they promise nothing. <laughs> and so fiat is just fiat by decree, right? And so it's saying, this is money 
you have no promise that the issuer will give you something for that money, unless you want to get philosophical and say, oh, they're going to give you, say, an army for that money if you agree to have that money inflated or taken from you at will. Like, you, I don't want to get philosophical. So we'll just say there's no actual promise behind fiat. But credit is a trusted system. It's like saying, it's acknowledging the fact that two people that trust each other, each other can accomplish more than one person alone. So you can you can have the kind of singular nature. This kind of this dichotomy with with humans. You have competition and cooperation. Com competition, it would be that you wouldn't have society if everybody was competing on everything all the time. When you have cooperation, you have society. Society is trust. And so if you want to now cooperate with people over abstractions of economic concepts, you need credit systems. You need to be able to say. I want to have, I have one coffee shop. I have proven to my friend, you know, P over here, that I can run a pretty great coffee shop. And I want to have two coffee shops, but my profit margin to open two coffee shops, it would take me 10 years to open my second coffee shop. And I want to open one next year. And so P says, I think John can handle that. I'll give him, I'll trust John with my money. Now, this is just a form of financing, right? And so credit is like the minimum form of finance. It's just saying, I trust you for something in the future. And so I could say, okay, I am Starbucks and I, want, and I don't want to involve P. I want to say to my, my customers, hey, I'm going to sell coffees and I want you to buy them for the future at say a 20% discount. And now you say, okay, well, I'm, I plan on buying coffees from John or Starbucks, you know, for the next five years, and that's a great deal. And I'm going to buy, I'm going to pre-buy them. And I can, now I can take that and I can leverage that trust and I can use that extra money to open the second coffee shop as long as I can meet my commitments to the redemptions of the coffee. And so you can see how credit is not that much different than finance because you can kind of independently finance things if you take risks on leveraging your credit obligations. Sorry if I'm going too no, far. No, no, that, like that, that was such a, an excellent yeah. example and use case. I want to take it to the other end of the spectrum though and discuss like the anonymity that a lot of Bitcoiners love to operate under. And in the system you provided, like our, there is no, there may be, but there is not necessarily this formalized credit score that follows you around, just your reputational risk. But if people have, you know, pseudonym, anonymous accounts all over the place, like what is to stop me from taking five different UTXOs that are all fully anonymous that you may not realize all five are linked to me and I crater my reputation on the first two just to unwind and then the other three, because I've kept them separated, I'm still, I still have that reputational sort of like thumbs up, blue check mark verification, or whatever that system is, how do you prevent that? I, I think you have a, unfortunately, it's not your fault, but you have a distorted view on how reputation works because there is actually not really any, any reputational friction to say getting a blue check mark. The way to get a blue check mark today is basically you can create a fake account that's mimicking your account and, and you report that account as not the real you. And then you get an email saying, Oh, if you want to prove you're the real you, send your, send your ID and we'll verify you. And that's like the process for getting verified. So all it is is just saying that you, you are the person. 
it doesn't say anything about you as a person. It doesn't say you're trustworthy or that you're a good businessman or you have you deserve to be lent credit or whatever. It just says you are the U.S. government or whoever thinks you're a real person. That's all it says. It's just a, a credential. Credentials are not reputation unless the, you attribute reputation to the issuer of the credential. And so in order to have a credit system or credit scores or social credit scores or reputations or more importantly, webs of trust. You have to decide what your your what, how you weight reputation, and you have to have a way of expressing that digitally. So, part of what we want to do with slash tags, the longer term goal, is create these like multi-dimensional webs of trusts. So, you have a way to express what what you value and weight what you value within your contact networks over different paradigms. So, you say like. Here is a reputation system that I use for like, is this guy a true Bitcoiner? Yes or no? And if P thinks he's a true Bitcoiner, then now I'm gonna assign some transitive trust to that guy. So maybe I, in a scale of one to five, I say P is a five, and then P says some other guy is a five, and I'm gonna say, okay, that guy's at least a three. You know. And so when I'm trying to make decisions and access my network, I can have these degrees of separation or this, this kind of transitive trust by distance, like a trust distance. And I can have this over different paradigms. I can say, okay, like P is really trustworthy when it comes to talking about Bitcoin, but I need someone to really trustworthy when it comes to talking about my health. And so now I have like like rating of doctors. And so I'm not gonna ask, and P is gonna be a one on that one, right? Like, and so when I have a, a doctor question, I'm not gonna ask P and, and if he answers, I'm not gonna weight his answer very highly. But maybe you know P rates somebody else a five, and I say, well, P's pretty trustworthy. Maybe I'll give that guy a three as well. You know what I mean? Because P, I trust P, but not I don't trust P's. You know, you can see, you can start using these systems to form any type of kind of thing. So you, you you assume the whole web is noise, and you use these these knobs, these filters to kind of trim the noise down to what you're looking for. And so the the credit system, the way that you now, you know, coming back to where you started, how, how are you going to dupe me if you know, you're saying, oh, I'm on these UTXOs and I'm going to trick you to trust me and I'm going to rug pull you? Well, if you're nobody to me, you're not getting any credit from me. You know, like I'm not going to trust you and I'm not taking any credit from you. So if you're a nobody, you're basically starting out at the baseline. You, you're, you're a buddy and you have to build up. And if you build up, Generally, what you'll find looking at systems and, and societies is people don't want to lose their reputation. But what happens today is people measure reputation very, very poorly. They use very primitive methods. They say, oh, this guy's rich, so he must know what he's talking about. Or this guy has a lot of followers, and I, don't really, I didn't really know that people can buy followers, and so he must, he must be influential. And this is, these are very crude reputation mechanisms, but it's all people have, so they use them. And so we have to give people better tools for actually having like relative subjective trust, measuring it, applying it, you know, these kinds of things. Sorry for the rant. No, no, like do not ever say sorry for going on rants, especially when those rants involve dunking on P for my shitty question. So if anything, like you're giving Look, I am an extra five minutes. Look, I am an excellent human and also bird doctor. So you should take doctor credentials as solid gold. I will also say we should never trust P when it comes to food. Just any food recommendation should bro. Dog food is high in protein. So are shoes. It's all just animal products. Get on board. 
So I, I see you guys asked me in the chat if that's the book that is the book. And also the book is not is available in hardcover for pay, but the PDFs are free. And he actually has a whole GitHub of all the entries in the book if you want to argue with him about it and, and edit the book. So, the so I can just PDF, look up crypto economics GitHub yeah. and I will Well he has that. it under the, he has it under the Libitcoin organization. So Libitcoin is an alternate implementation of a Bitcoin node. Uh, it's a Bitcoin implementation and it's a project, and he has it within the organization on GitHub for that. But if you just search crypto economics at law school, you can find his website, you'll find the, P the free PDF, etc. Chris, can you uh, put that in the uh, chat for everybody who's who's listening? I will definitely check that out, John. I, I just got the PDF up here, Chris. Boom. Oh, fantastic. I, I, know, I have my weekend read locked in, and I always It'll have to It'll probably say take you more than a week. Again, it's, I'm expecting this to be like a couple months. Than, than a book, yeah. This is a, a one chapter a week, and I'm I'm proud if I can do that much. I mean, it, it did take me a while as well, and I, I think one chapter a week is is better than no chapters a week. Fantastic. I want to take a slightly different. Or go ahead, Q. No, 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 go. go. I was going to shift the direction, but you can. I was going to ask actually, what other not necessarily books, but videos, media. Just fuck up. Are you just reading my mind right now? I'm yes, full always. Ass was about to ask him for other recommendations. Just what can I say? Great minds think alike. What are your favorite sources of media right now? Specifically, books that we should consume that you'd recommend for our audience or for anyone who wants to learn more about Bitcoin and what's happening in the world today? Twitter. I hate you. Give me <laughs> a better. Five, give me something I can work with. Who are your five Let favorite followers? Let me explain. Twitter is like the best, closest thing we have to the system that I just described. It, you, you can curate the, your feed, you can decide who you follow, you can block and filter out noise. And if you take the time to do all these things, your, your Twitter is your morning newspaper, you know? And if you can be disciplined and not, about not being a troll there and not tolerating trolls there and tolerating noise, you'll find over some time that it's actually a pretty great resource for learning what's new, learning what the people you care about care about, these kinds of things. And so I, I, I just wanted to kind of mention that point. And then I'll, I'll, I'll disappoint you again and say, I don't read many books. I don't listen to many podcasts. Bitcoin podcasts mostly suck. That's like when you've been in Bitcoin 10 years, like it's like, it's just the same thing over and over and over after a while. And all you really care about is like a cameo by someone who like is building a thing that you're using, like somebody you respect, like this kind of thing. And, and those people, you know, when you're around for a while, those kind of people don't tend to get interviewed as much either because they're just not like people want to interview pumpers and, and hypers and things like this. So you don't get a lot of that content. And so I just don't. I don't read any Bitcoin books. I don't listen to any Bitcoin podcasts religiously. I look at it maybe once a month and see if there's one that interests me, but not every month do I find one. And so that's that's the honest answer. As far as like maybe nonfiction or such, like I like, what is it? Anathem by Neil Stevenson is a pretty cool book. It kind of, Bitcoiners should like it. It's like a possible future where like you the society forks into like these these mathematicians that are that become like monks and they live in citadels and there's like the rabble that live outside and they're kind of like you know degenerating over time and there's an interesting story where you know with an interesting occurrence that makes them have to mix in the story and that's and i don't want to give up give away the story but that's a pretty cool book can't think of have, more offhand have you read the mandibles no i have not i've i've, I've seen bitcoiners hyping it but i have not read it 
it it's in the same vein as what you just described where set in the future from 2029 to i believe like 2046 so a window like that where it follows a family that's well off that has a very strong patriarch but as the dollar collapses just how does this family that was once like had a silver spoon and all of them were sort of expecting that the wealth would trickle down once the patriarch died how do they adjust to the new reality of a hyperinflated dollar the thing that was in that book that really stands out to me was the policy measures taken by the government that then triggered the hyperinflation we saw are not dissimilar from some of the policy measures very openly discussed today right now by our elected officials. Yeah. But the, the caveat is there's one line in there that talks about how Bitcoin failed and it doesn't really like explain that. So I think the, the author aware of Bitcoin being sort of the exit ramp, if you will, and had to sort of close that avenue off for the likes of us who are all going to flock to that book because it validates all of our worst fears. I'll mention one more book, The Red Queen by Matt Ridley. This is a book I read at a pretty young age, maybe 22 or something, and it never left me. And he's written many books since then. He likes to kind of specialize in aspects of like evolutionary competition, memetics, things like this. And some people say that they like latter books better. And so I haven't read, he has a lot of books and I haven't read all of them, but Basically, the interesting thing here is it makes you think about life and, and human and really all life being this competition. And, and the theme of that book is just kind of pointing out how everything that we do comes back to sex, not in the pornographic sense, but in the sense that there, the competitive level is DNA and, and reproduction. And so that all of our incentives at the root are somehow to do with sex somehow and being able to have sex so we can reproduce. And so much of our, our inclinations revolving around that. Now, I think you could debate that to some degree so much, but, but I think the DNA competition at least is correct. And so when you, when you wanna have a mental model of reality, thinking about these things as competition, DNA competition, adaptability, evolution, it makes everything make a lot more sense when you're trying to figure something out, even Bitcoin. I'm definitely gonna have to read that one. One of my my one of the things that I'm that I've always been really interested in is reproductive strategies. For that reason, like behavioral ecology, it's fascinating, and the incentive structures, as you said, are just really, really interesting, and they lead to a lot of behaviors. Which, of course, if you talk to a behavioral ecologist, which is you know someone who studies these, these in nature animal systems, they'll be like, "But this does not apply to humans. This is just about animal models." And you're like, "But really, does it though?" And then they'll get all furious. But well, a funny example, and maybe maybe I'll regret saying this, but possibly controversial example, but I don't care what anybody does, but you know, you have this big kind of woke movement and within this woke movement, you have this like, like pronouning and this kind of thing. And like, well, what is a woman and, and like all this confusion around gender and such. And, and the, the interesting thing is like, you can do whatever you want. As long as it doesn't hurt me, I don't care. But strategies like, for example, that don't result in reproductive, reproductive competition, your, your theory ends with you. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so you, you need a strategy. You, you, know, you want to reevaluate your strategy. If it doesn't involve perpetuating humans, the, the, the reproduction of humans that agree with you. 
And so you have to be careful of choosing your strategies. And I think that you, if you don't understand the primitives of evolutionary competition, you have to think about you know, whether your life is something that is just like you're on, you're on a tour, like you got, to, you got to be alive once and you're touring this reality and it's over, or whether or not you want to try to contribute to humankind somehow. And you have to be able to make an impact that outlasts your life to be able to do that. Try keeping that as abstract as possible, but yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's interesting. I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to resist the urge to just drag us fully into behavioral ecology talk and keep it somewhat related to Bitcoin. Everything's about Bitcoin, like, but in actuality, like, we talk about this very openly. How you have to have a certain mentality to accept and understand what's going on and why Bitcoin can be a solution to the problems at hand. So that was my green light of saying, like, go fucking nuts, you cyborg. <laughs> well, I'll ask a different question. Actually, I'm going to pull us back to Bitcoin. John, what do you think about the, the, the bug that was discovered in BTCD that uh, Barack just, you know, made popular by breaking to an extent the LND? So my initial impression was, oh, again, like it doesn't, Lightning Network isn't like a multi-billion dollar Visa network kind of thing yet, right? And so when there's a bug that takes it out for an hour or two, it doesn't really hurt that much. But then after, you know, that, that's my first immediate thought is like, oh, you know, funny, but you know, it's, it's, you very quickly start thinking, okay, it was funny the first time, but the second time it's like, at some point you have to grow up and you have to say, okay, like, am I hurting or helping? And if you actually, again, are trying to help, you would just say, hey, if you want to put pressure on Lightning Labs or something, say, hey, can you please push this fix or I'm going to have to show everybody that the, the network is in danger right now. And even that is like assuming, you know, he has good intentions. I don't know the guy, but I think we have responsible disclosure culture for a reason. I, I think that, you know, Lightning Labs already explained that they had a fixed plan. They were just trying to keep things low key and, and get it out there. They didn't think somebody was willing to pay extra money to get a miner to accept a non-standard transaction just to break LND. And the thing is, this can happen with any software. So if you want to dance on LND for today and, and feel better than them, fine. But that shouldn't, that, that feeling, that, that glee should not last more than a moment if you are also a software producer, because it can happen to you as well. Like it could happen to Bitkit, it could happen to CLN, it can happen to Lightning Network on the whole, it can happen to Bitcoin. Like we always have to be conservative and respectful. And if we are here to help, help. If you're here to hurt, well, you're not on my team. Do we know, can, do you know the specifics of what the disclosure process was? And because we initially reported it as he just sort of went for it, but somebody in the chat was saying that he did actually disclose this and then it just wasn't fixed fast enough. No. And okay. So this is all like third party, secondhand, of whatever. Course. So I wasn't there and I didn't verify, but what I, from what I saw, Anthony Towns reported this two weeks ago or so. Oh, interesting. Not aware of it. They had, they were, they had a patch for it and they were going to push it with the next release. And so there was awareness, there was reporting. And I don't know if, what's his name? 
Barack or I don't know if he was aware of that or in, if he was just like, okay, like Lightning Labs is, I'm going to do it again. And they're still not listening to me from, some, I, I don't know what interactions they had and why, what his motivations were. Ask him, you know, but he did it again. And it's, it's impressive on, on some level, but it's also depressing on another level. Like this the Lightning Network is not ready. I think maybe it's a good time to like take a step back and say, okay, what are our priorities here? You know, like, are we focusing too much on the science project of Lightning Network, continually adding complexity and new features when we should be maybe possibly focusing on the security and integrity of the network? And maybe there's a lot more work to be done there. Maybe, you know, we need, if we're going to rely on BPCD, it needs to have three months of hardcore, you know, development, testing and stress testing, just so we know that, like, LND is ready for somebody to have, you know, a million users connected to their node. Like if we want to like kill Visa or, you know, be bring Bitcoin to millions and, and Lightning is supposedly going to be part of the solution, we got to be ready, right? You could argue things like this make it ready. You know, they help. They, this is the stress test. But, you know. To what degree can we preempt these things and do them before production? I don't know. It's it's hard to say. Like, this is complex stuff, and and the more complex you make it, the harder it is to to test it. The harder it is to feel confidence. And so, I'm I'm always an advocate for conservatism when it comes to Bitcoin, and that includes on. It didn't used to be this way, but it includes too now. Got it. Hmm. Okay, so what is in store for BitKit next? What are you guys working on that you hope to ship in the near future? I would say, you know, probably for the, the short term, it's just going to be bug fixing, polishing it up, you know, covering any loose ends that we missed. Maybe a little bit of like taking the UX feedback from people that are actually using it and being like, oh yeah, that's obvious. Why didn't we think of that? Making sure we add that little tiny feature in there to smooth things out. That'll be the short term. Next year, I would say we have a few things planned. We'd like to get pair credit working so we can bring something like, say for example, like free tether, you know, free, free tether transactions, instant tether transactions, blockchainless tether for people that want to have credit. That's not my personal interest as far as a user. My personal interest is bringing gift tokens to, to the, the forefront, basically helping businesses with issuing credit, kind of like I described to you earlier, like being able to use your credit as a way to leverage your reputation. And so you can have this concept of product tokens and service tokens. So I'm even more interested, even more interesting to me than having like Starbucks issue dollar tokens that you can only buy Starbucks products with. I'm interested in a coffee shop issuing coffee tokens that are for a specific product. You know, like this is a large coffee, this is a donut, whatever, and seeing how we can kind of have this like market of items this way and, and establishing interoperability across merchants. So having systems where since these tokens are bearer instruments, you can have order books for them. And so you could theoretically accept any gift card or gift token from any vendor for anything. And because you have an, you have an aftermarket of people that can establish the aftermarket price of these things, and so Dunkin' Donuts could accept Starbucks tokens with no problem. They just use an exchange that supports you know converting them. 
So these things interest me. Service tokens, like like I mentioned, like one month of Netflix. It's not a tangible thing. It's not, but it's not. It is a, a liability, an obligation. These things interest me. So that's why I'd like to add support for pair credit once it's ready. We'd like to add ability to buy Bitcoin. And so we have some plans for how you can basically you know, make an account with an exchange like with like Bitfinex, but provide a front end that is only for Bitcoin. And so they'll only be able to buy Bitcoin and, and not be in the trading sense. So just having access to be able to do things like, you know, DCA and, you know, things like, you know, being able to acquire Bitcoin and, and put it in your savings in the wallet. There's a kind of savings and spending concept in the wallet as well. You'll see when you play with it. And then with slash tags, we want to solve the kind of storage incentive thing we talked about on the lower level, but on the BitKit level, we want to introduce subscription features, subscriptions and allowances. And this is something that you can actually solve with, with the, the underlying tech that a lot of people want to be able to do this stuff and we can solve it in really cool ways and so you'll be able to have like memberships subscriptions you'll be able to tell uh, allocate what amount of money like a certain subscribe a subscription service can automatically be paid by you so say for example you have a monthly netflix subscription and now netflix you know will ping your wallet and say hey your your payment is due and if you have allocated an allowance for that payment your wallet will just automatically pay it and you don't have to be interacting with that. So it's a way to kind of create the, the user experience people are used to today, but they don't have to, they can still hold their own Bitcoin and do it. And so the subscriptions is a, is a feature we want to add. And we have several other features that we want to add to slash tags and demonstrate as, as new features. I can see already from the way people are behaving with the profiles that we kind of need to accelerate the ability to do some social features. Because people are already saying like they're, they're sharing this slash tag on Twitter and they're saying, add me. And it's like, okay, add you and do what? Like pay you is all you can do right now. <laughs> they pay you and get, and get updates about your profile. And so now people are going to want to be able to like make posts. And so but we, we want to work on social media stuff as well. Good stuff. Well, I'm super excited. I'm going to go download that as soon as we finish. Is there anything else that we have not gone through during this conversation today that you want to speak about? I don't know. I've been through so much and I've been like on a conference tour and I've been traveling for a while going to conferences and I'm a little bit burnt out to be honest. So I probably am missing some things, but we did kind of cover a lot. You know, we, we've got Block Tank, which is our LSP service. Oh, we added Block Tank Instant service. So we, we created this new API for exchanges. So if an exchange wants to add the ability to accept lightning deposits and lightning withdrawals, we will just give them an API to do it. And so we'll make a business relationship. They don't have to run lightning at all. They don't have to have a lightning engineer. They don't have to know how lightning works. We just do everything for them. And we, and they, when it's a deposit, we owe them the money. When it's a withdrawal, they owe us the money and we settle out of band from the user and it's just a service for exchanges. So we'll be, we have a business developer specializing in block tank. We have a business developer specializing in slash tags as well. So we're working on integrations with different services. So, you know, you, I mentioned Starbacker is integrated. We have a couple other, we have Bitfinex is integrating and we have a couple other people. Congratulations. Maybe other people working on different integrations of various slash tags features. You know, we have the BitKit wallet, test that. Hopefully it'll be in a, in a non-beta form within a month or two and that we can call it like fully released and we'll, we'll 
turn off the throttle on how many people can download it. And we've got slash tags. And so slash tags, we'll start, we plan to start running some hackathons and doing, you know, development for integrations and adding a lot of new features to slash tags that it can do a lot. And so the, we're going to demonstrate to people that you can do Web3 without a blockchain. You can do Web5 without a blockchain. And you can do this in a serverless way. You can have a lot of cool asynchronous features. And we're just trying to show people that this is the there are very practical, very cool ways that you can just own the data, own the keys, and you don't have to like run nodes and do crazy things to make it possible. I love it. Well, more power to you. Like I said, super excited to see what you guys come out with next and can't wait to have you back soon. Last thing I'll ask is I took the liberty of adding your Twitter handle into your handle on the screen, but can you just tell people how they can find you, how they can find what you're doing with Synonym and stay up to date on the information? Sure. You can find me. I'm Bitcoin Error Log on Twitter, same on Telegram. We have channels on Twitter and Telegram for each product now and websites for each product now. So if you're interested in BitKit, go to bitkit.to, bitkit.to. If you're interested in Synonym, go to synonym.to. If you're interested in BlockTank, blocktank.to. Slash tags, slash tags.to. And slash tags website is pretty cool actually because we've also released like the first version of our slash tags SDK to make it easier to work with slash tags. And we have a whole playground in there which shows a bunch of demo use cases and demo apps for like, you know, showing people trying to expand their creativity, what you can do with this and what kind of UIs you would do to express some of the features of slash tags. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, man. Really appreciate having you today. And I'll just remind everybody that if you do not yet have a ticket to Bitcoin 2023, you can get one today using code BMLive to save 10%. You can also purchase a physical magazine, the censorship resistant issue. The Orange Party issue is about to come out. So if you do not already have one of the censorship resistant issues, it's about to become a collector's item. My friends, thanks for joining us. We will see you same time, same place tomorrow. Adios. Hey guys, this is Q from Bitcoin Magazine Live. If you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's both a free and paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts break down what's going on in the markets so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com. The censorship-resistant issue of the Bitcoin Magazine print edition is available now. Grab your copy at your local Barnes & Noble store or head on over to the Bitcoin Magazine store and use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off of your order today.